people want to learn about? How compression works and how to know when to use it and how to know how to use it well. That's what I want to learn about. Okay. Um, when do you use compression currently? Uh, mostly just for podcast stuff. Oh, interesting. I like, I tried using it. I mean, I've used it a couple of times on some of the sounds I've made for like the competitions and stuff, but especially when you get into, you know, compressing individual tracks and then piling like master compression on top of it, like in the videos, for example, the review videos and the feature videos, I compress the VO, but I try not to compress the game audio because it's natural and yeah, because it just it I feel like it makes it harder to mix, and I can't tell if it's because I don't know how to use compressors very well, or if that's just the business. Uh, yeah. So, what's like what compression do you use on the podcast, for example? Like number wise? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's the I ratio? Mean, oh boy, I had a friend tell me once that you can you can go bananas when you compress vocals because there's not a ton of information, so you can go up to like ten or fifteen x if you wanted to. But I try to keep it closer to like six. Wait, like six to one ratio? Yeah. Oh, God, don't do that. That's way too much. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I definitely go like 1.5. Oh, wow. Or two. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Because, like, I, I actually noticed that in one of the recordings. Now, that that actually makes sense now. Because, like, it'll be like, you're, you're, getting, you're losing a lot of, like, the natural, like, quality. Mm-hmm. Basically, what you're listening for is, like, if you hear, uh, I'll, I'll point out an example of it to you at a later time. Or like after this, um, that'd be great. There was one in the Sketching Monsters podcast that you edited. Ah, um, I noticed that Carlos's voice. There was one point where I was like, "Oh, that that was over compression right there." Okay. Um, um, so basically, you're gonna be listening for when somebody gets too loud. Mm-hmm. You can tell when that like hits a wall. Yeah, it's like the brick wall. And I think I know exactly what spot you're talking about too, because he was so loud in that one tiny spot and completely right. silent the whole rest of the recording it was like i'm not sure how i would fix that in a way that isn't going to be obvious yeah what i did for any time that would happen is i would just like cut out that one spot and then lower the gain on that specific clip and reaper oh okay that's what i did anyways yeah, yeah that's that good. happened yeah um but uh yeah for compression like i try not to go above like three okay three to three to one ratio unless i'm like really trying to just like go crazy yeah I, w- I wouldn't go past five for anything unless okay. I'm doing a brick wall limiter to like prevent it from clipping. Yeah, like sometimes on any underlying music for certain videos and stuff, like the music gets turned down so low, but I do want it to maintain a constant volume, like even within itself. So I'll compress yeah. the shit out of the music, and it's like you know it's like 30 dB down, and it's not meant to be like specifically listened to. But right. I don't want it to be. You know, I don't want there to be too many dynamics because yeah. then it becomes distracting. So then I try to just turn that into as much of a sausage as I can. Yeah, because like if you're, I mean, it, it depends on what you're mixing too. If you're mixing guitars, yeah. I would go to three to one ratio. If I'm mixing piano, I'm probably going to do a one point five, maybe. Hmm. Um, yeah, probably one point five at the most with piano. Um, and then if I'm doing vocals, probably one point five to two. It depends. You can go to a three if you really want. I wouldn't go past three for vocals though. Okay. Um, and then for sound effects, I feel like sound effects is the area where you can do whatever you want. Oh, okay. That's that, interesting. That's kind of my thoughts on it anyways. Because I a lot of times I'll like to get like a lot of low end on a sound. Mm-hmm. So I'll just boost the bass and then put slap a limiter on there. Just like fill out that low end a lot. Uh, and then the threshold. The threshold just varies based off of like how loud the noise floor is, I would say. Yeah. And that's the threshold is something I have a pretty decent understanding of because it's basically like what is the 
you know, how low does the person's vocals get that you want to make sure that you catch all of. It's kind of like putting a screen under it and then, but you don't want to go too far down because then you pick up like room noise and all kinds of weird stuff that you don't want making louder. Right, and um, having the an attack, the attack and release control on that is really important too, especially for like vocals because it's like in the example of the one that Carlos had, like it, it just felt very like sudden and like abrupt, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I guess, yeah, timing the attack is something that I that's hard could stand to be better at too yeah that that just takes a lot of you can spend a lot of time like just tweaking yeah. every tiny thing on a compressor until you get it right austin mullen actually took me through a little compression uh tutorial of a couple of months ago and the way he explained attack was actually really useful in that you know if you've got a file he was using explosions as an example and he's like you know if you want to compress this explosion to bring up the volume of the tail but you don't want to catch the front of the explosion because it's already loud enough. Set the attack to start after that front of the explosion is over. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's really smart. Um, that also really depends on what kind of compressor you're using. Yeah, and that's another thing too, is there's all these different plugins that are different types of compressors, and that I don't know anything about. I don't understand how they would be different. To be honest, like there's, there's no like, Nobody can ever tell you. I mean, you can you can probably break it down to like, oh, the attack on this does is this different from this one. But at the end of the day, you just have to try try some of them, and like see how you feel with it. So it's not even a matter of like a different type of compressor gets you a different sound, right? It's not like a, I mean there are yes, but it, even then, like I still think that it's better to just use the the compressor yourself and see how you feel with it. Mm -hmm. at the end of the day um like the, the sure sm57 and 58 those mics can be used for literally everything mm -hmm. they're i don't even know what they're supposed to be nowadays i think they were originally supposed to be for vocals but nowadays mm. they're just used for everything okay um but that's for microphones but like for compressors i feel like i mean some people just have one compressor that they use on everything and if they and they love the sound of how that compressor just like the the way the attack actually works on a compressor could be way more subtle than a, the attack on another one. Like the Reaper default compressor, it works and it gets the job done. It's not very good though, if I'm being okay. honest. Like I would, there are much better compressors out there. And that's the only compressor I know to use. And I wouldn't mind hearing about one that is like, this compressor is much better for this and this and this. And maybe I just need to look it up, but. All right, well, I'm gonna write down, that down because I think that like Mac could probably do a pretty good video on like, um, compression comparison, compressor comparison. That would be fantastic. Having a comparison between two different types of compressors and how they work and what they do, like, because you've got that video in Gats somewhere from forever ago explaining how compressors work and like what the ratio actually means. But the math on that is really difficult to understand. It's just, it's, I mean, it's not like calculus, but it's just, it's confusing. It's hard to, un it's hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah, it's like this equals this. Yeah, it, it, it helps to think about it. Basically how it works is for every decibel that passes the threshold, you are reducing it by the ratio. So if you have a three to one ratio on your compressor and you pass the threshold by three decibels, then it reduces it, it crunches down those three decibels to one decibel above the threshold now. If your threshold is at negative 15 and you've got something that comes in at like negative 
five. Then you've got 10 decibels worth of amount that crosses the threshold, and then you would take that and crunch that down three to one, so that becomes what? Negative 11.7 after negative 15. Okay. And and if it was if it was a five to one ratio, then it'd go to negative 10. Yeah, yeah, three, okay. And then your attack determines how fast it goes from negative 15 to negative 10 or negative 11.7. Oh, interesting. So if you've got like a super short attack, then the immediacy is just going to be like, bam. Right. So basically, um, so the compressor doesn't do anything unless that threshold is passed. All right. That Yeah. So I was understanding attack in completely the wrong way in that instance, because I thought attack was like when after the sound starts, does the compressor do something? Yeah. If the threshold is at negative 20 and the signal goes up to negative 15, then it's going to trigger it and pass it by, by five decibels. Um, and then uh, if you decide to change the compression to five to one ratio, then it's going to go down to negative 19. Okay. And so it's just the only thing that triggers the action is crossing the threshold. It's not Yeah. interesting. Well, yeah, then I would. I definitely want to do that differently then. That's good to know. Um. Yeah, it's it's very much like it's an art form. Like it, it's so play by feel. Like in Austin's example that he gave you with the explosion, mm-hmm. um, you're really gonna want to focus on if you if you're worried about the attack, like maybe give it like twenty to to a hundred milliseconds, something like that. Or I'm just like saying that based off of my experience with the compressors, but it really just depends on the sound itself. Mm-hmm. Doing an instant attack is I do a lot, and I probably shouldn't. But that's just because I know the sound that I like. I, I recommend people start with like 20 to like 100 milliseconds and just play around with that range for the time being. But then, but what, you know, let's say you've got your attack set to, you know, five milliseconds. I mean, I guess that explains why it's in milliseconds because that's a very immediate type situation. So I guess you wouldn't want your attack to be longer in duration, I suppose, like set to like two milliseconds if the sound that is that you're trying to focus on doesn't even last that long yeah yeah that makes sense especially yeah i'm trying to like my my classic example that i think of is drums when i'm thinking about a compressor Mm -hmm. and because a lot of times when you're using a compressor you're really wanting to pop that tail of the sound up Hmm. and so like using like a kick drum or a snare you're really getting that kind of like flare yeah after the fact and that compressor allows it to like it changes everything allows it to it just pops really mm-hmm. it makes it feel bigger um and that being said that's where your release comes in so like if you have your tail let's say that like you have an explosion or a snare drum hit it has a the transient is like very very fast on the attack and then it, it, it has like a tapered out release over time right if your explosion is let's say it hits zero decibels and your threshold is set to negative 20. If you set your release to zero milliseconds, then as soon as it goes back below zero, it's just going to be like kind of weird for it to just like drop out of existence after a certain point of the tail going through. So if you set your release to like 200 milliseconds or something like that, then you're allowing it to kind of like taper off a little bit and feel a little bit more natural. Hmm. Okay. I usually set my release to like over a second because... I once again, I was thinking of it as sort of the inverse of the attack, where it's like, at what point does the compressor shut off? And I thought release was like, it's triggered by the attack, so the attack starts the compressor working at, you know, effectively a millisecond, and then you want it to work until another point when it starts, you know, until it crosses the threshold again. So the release is effectively at 
you know, for compressing vocals, I would take the release and effectively set it to an amount of time that would not exist in silence. Like, there's not going to be two full seconds of silence in vocal recording. So if I set it to two seconds, then it'll never shut off, and that's and that solves it. Correct. Um, but it does give the opportunity if somebody if somebody is talking quietly or like, or they do decide to be quiet. Well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you're starting to strategize though. Like, you, like, like it's it's interesting to like. But you still want dynamics in the vocals. I guess it's I guess it's different because like if you're doing because um, if you have like an intense reverb on like a vocal track on a song, you probably want that release to kind of like taper out a little bit longer, so it's a little bit more natural on the reverb. Well, it depends on how the signal flow is, I guess, because mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't compress the reverb. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of like. There's a lot to think about, though, with, with like compressors. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I will like listen to a song and I'll hear an effect that has a weird like abrupt end to it. And some like there's a I think there's a metric song specifically that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head, but there's a vocal almost like a back channel vocal that's like a hum or do 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 you know something like that. And there's an effect on it, and then it just kind of it's like hmm, and then it just stops. It doesn't have like a natural finish to it, and I can't decide if that was intentional or if that is just the result of how, you know, somebody used a compressor. And I would assume a band the size of Metric, who's been around as long as they have, being produced by a like a music industry pro, like there are no mistakes in final products and stuff like that. Right. But it just I thought it was an interesting thing. They spend so much time on that mix, I'm sure. And sometimes I get into a position where it's like I feel like I understand a thing and I feel like I can do it quickly but then I also think about the fact that you know we're working on an album we'll see it in 10 months it's like there's a reason that music takes so long to put out yeah and it's not because everybody's just sitting on you know finished products for months and months unless they have extenuating circumstances and so it's like well there's probably more to this than I think there is right. because every other instance of people who are better than me at this takes them five times as long. So there's something else to it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The The general consensus that I have with anything creative is that like, if you just spend a lot of time with it, it'll be good. That's true. But the inverse of that is that perfection is the enemy of greatness. Agreed. And you, you don't want to spend too much time tooling and re- and trying to like... Yeah. There's got somebody. I feel like somebody must have figured out that balance. I feel there's. I feel there's got to be like some sort of like a logarithmic scale for like. Oh, you're getting. You're spending this much time, but like over time, you're only improving it like that much. But then if you start from scratch again, then it'll be like another th- like improvement and another improvement, something like that. I think with the the ephemeral nature of creativity and all of the different variables of everybody's individual process, like there's not going to be any hard and fast rules for something like that. I don't think. Mm -hmm. And part of what makes things great is sort of an individual's intuition to know when to stop making it. And I don't know. It's, it's, and, but there's so many situations where greatness couldn't possibly be foreseen. Like jaws, for example, like it's shot the way that it is because the shark basically didn't work. It was a failure of an experiment. And so the sharks in like three scenes and all the first person stuff is like, well, the shark didn't work and we couldn't shoot this the way we wanted. So this was what we had to do as a result. And everybody's like, if this movie had been made with that shark being the focal point of it, the way that it was originally planned, it probably wouldn't be half as good as it is. Yeah. And it's like nobody could possibly have foreseen that being the solution and having it be infinitely great yeah. as a result of like, well, this busted trash has ruined our day. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And I guess it's like, do you know when that decision actually happened in the process? Um, 
I mean, it was they had they did they had several instances of trying to fix the shark and having it just not work out. And I don't remember when, like when exactly in the process it happened, but there were so many hurdles shooting that movie, even from the perspective of shooting a movie on water. Yeah, there's a fantastic story that Spielberg tells about how they had one shot that they wanted to get, but there was a boat in the distance. And they had to wait four and a half hours for it to leave the frame so that they could shoot it before it came back. <laughs> and it was like a, you know, a 15 minute shot sequence. And they only had like that, that limits your number of tries to. Yeah, exactly. And it's just the, the all the inside baseball stuff about that movie is absolutely fantastic. And, yeah. And hearing about. The ambition of trying to shoot a movie on water and how horrible it was and how he would never, ever do something like that again. And it's like, these are the kinds of things that you can only get as a mixture of like being new enough to the to it, like being in your mid, late 20s, early 30s and not having a, a grasp on that kind of headache and then having the auteurism and being ensconced in a project that you need to finish like well we'll just continue to figure out the impossibilities of this problem and then finish it and it's like uh, no that was hell on earth i'll never do that again it's like if you had known that we wouldn't have jaws and all of its excellence like yeah if you i don't know i could go on and on about jaws all day long but <laughs> <laughs> no no you're right though and, and that's that's actually something that kind of like deters me from wanting to do more projects now like i've i've been through this like this gauntlet of just like at doing more yeah. and more projects yeah and now i'm just like no <laughs> please god no like we're we just recently fortunately landed a contract gig and then we also had like we're talking to a couple other people for contract work and those might go through which is great but now i'm like oh i don't want to add anymore i'm tired <laughs> like, <laughs> like it, it hurts to have this many projects and like chris just recently started going full-time blip and probably actually no in the, in the last month it's gotten way easier but like when you first started as like a full-time editor there was a lot there's a lot that I, you have to teach yeah like as the someone who like knows what to do i guess and the and like something that you created by yourself like there's a lot you have to like share and and obviously you brought your own expertise and your own creative vision as well um which helped a lot but um yeah bringing like someone like you on which should make things easier. Well, and it does. Long-term, it does make it easier. But short-term, it's like, I have to spend so much more time <laughs> helping, like, surrogating this person, basically. Yeah. That reminds me of two things. One, a friend of mine recently, like, she's gotten to a point in her job where she's able to train people, and she absolutely hates doing it because she's like, basically, when you train somebody, you have to bring yourself to work at their speed. And, you know, and it's, it, you can't get anything done all day because you have to answer questions and you have to do things at, at the level of a day one person. Yeah. And it's just, and it's not, she's like, I'm not blaming this person. Obviously, if you're new, you're new, but it's just part of the, the headache that comes with training and bringing new people on. And it also reminded me of, there's a, an episode of The Reassembler where James May is talking about where is all of the time that we were promised in regards to making things easier and, and faster over, over the course of like, you know, technology. And it's like, we went with from, I think he was rebuilding a phone at the time or something, but just talking about like this, that, you know, this thing was supposed to make this process twice as fast and this thing way easier. And it's like all of the 
progress of technology throughout the ages, like where's all this time we were promised? Because everybody's still just as busy as they were then, despite having all of these, you know, gadgets that were promised to make things easier and faster. And it's like, you just find a way to fill the time with other things. It's like, if we were still working at the pace of the 1960s, using all the things that we have now, we'd all have like, you know, two-day work weeks and be lounging around the rest of our time. But because we have this extra time and all this speed of getting things done, we can cram 10 extra things into that time that we've met. It's just like when you are living up to the means of, you know, suddenly having a mountain of money. Like people always say, how can somebody possibly burn through a million dollars a year? And it's like, you're saying that from the perspective of someone who makes 40 grand a year. And if you were to wake up tomorrow suddenly making millions of dollars and live your life at the exact same speed and rate of, you know, consumption and money that you do as somebody in a $40,000 bracket, then yeah, you will have a lot left over. But because you have all this money, you will find other things to do with it. Yeah. And that, that kind of just scales up over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I think that the development of technology over time, like it's... I, I wonder if that has anything to do with like... There's like a weird... I kind of feel like lately people are way more demotivated than they used to be to like do anything. Is that fair to say you would say? Hmm. I think I can see where you're coming from with that idea. I actually just got done watching an episode of Modern Marvels about building the Brooklyn Bridge. And one thing that I would really love to see, to have explained, is like something like that, for example, where they take these these big caissons that are like the size of buildings and they drop them into the East River and they've got like a gap in the bottom so that it fills with air. And then they take it into the water down to the ground level and they put an elevator in it and then they fill the bottom with dudes to dig mud out until the caisson goes all the way to the bedrock of the river. And that's how they built like the base of the towers for the bridge. And people are getting the bends and they don't know that it's a thing. So they call it caisson syndrome and they're dying, dropping dead left and right. And it's a horrible work environment. And it's like, I want to know what it would look like if we were to try to build a project on this scale with modern things where we don't want people dropping dead at work and how it would be done. And it's like, you know, certain cynics would probably be, oh, well, we couldn't possibly do it now. And it's like, well, that's not true, but I just don't know what the differences would be. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't think so. I think it, I think motivation to do something and like being interested and having a passion about something is a very natural, like it's part of human condition. And I think... It, but but I wonder because of like how much everything is done for us. Would you have an example? Um, I, I mean, for one having digital versus analog in the music and sound industry. Like you don't think that somebody of now would have... I can get everything I need in Reaper for free. And maybe it's a money thing. I don't know. That, that's like, that's kind of not what I'm trying to get at though. Well, I mean, I, it sounds like maybe you're thinking someone of, you know, a modern person might not have the motivation necessary to dedicate themselves to editing via splicing and taping of film together, for example. Right. No, I don't think so. I think I think it's more a product of just like using what you have available to you. Like it's I mean it's impossible to test because you can't take someone now. Yeah. And uh, you know, effectively have them exist in a world where they don't know about any of the things that we use. Yeah. I yeah, I I definitely retract what I said. I don't think there is a correlation there, but it's interesting to think about. Okay. Yeah, yeah for sure. 
and I, yeah, I think there's a lot of that that goes, it, it kind of, it seems like it kind of falls in parallel with the idea that, oh, you know, kids these days, you know, anything, all oh, the world these days is nothing like it used to be. It's like one of my favorite things in the world is to see that argument play out identically in things like the Twilight Zone, where you got, you watch a show from 1960 and you see these people complain about how the world, oh, it's just crazy and awful these days, not, you know, not like it was, and then they have flashbacks right. to like the late 1800s, and it's like, well, now everybody, you know, people complain about how, oh, it's not like the glory days of, the ni- of 1960, and it's like, in 1960, someone wanted it to be 1880, like, it's going to be the same forever, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a, a social yeah. problem, it's a, I don't know, it's a... It's it's a it's like a time relevance, generational relevance. Almost like a human problem of just like there is comfort in the known and lack of comfort in the unknown. And once you get to a point, you're just like, I don't want to not know anything anymore. And then it just gets worse and worse as you get older. And then I've got this whole spiel I've got about the the transition from analog to digital world and how sorry I feel for the people who've had to deal with that mess. But it's that's for a different day. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, we kind of we kind of went off on a. We went from compressors to talking about... not even sure how. (laughs) Well, I mean, and I don't know, to to go back to your question, it kind of reminds me, I asked the composer over at Monolith once, because something I always wanted to ask composers who've been in the industry for a long time is whether or not they prefer the natural limitations of the hardware from, you know, the 90s to having like the par- the paralysis of choice that they have with now where it's like I can make music out of anything with any number yeah. of instruments and an infinite of or orchestra and whatever I want to do like which one's harder to deal with and his answer was really interesting he said that you basically the limitations the hardware limitations put in place by the old equipment yep. you know you had to work within them but now when you have this infinite of abilities and paralysis of choice, you have to create your own limitations just so that you have a path to walk down. I thought that was really cool. I never, wouldn't have ever thought of it that way. Yeah, no, that's, it's 100% true. If you have an open canvas and you have a pen, I mean, even just that alone, you have infinite possibilities of what can exist. Yeah. And th- I think that if you tell, if I tell you what, while you have that pen and paper in your hand, if I say start with a circle, mm-hmm. that's already plenty of limitation to make something out of. Yeah, it's like I don't know. I was I, and, and 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 I could also say like oh and and make it spooky, <laughs> you know. And that's like oh mm-hmm. a jack o' lantern, or you know, at first mm-hmm. someone would probably would have done a smiley face. It's like spooky, but also Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was actually thinking about equating it to like. That's the reason that we have paths from one place to another instead of open fields, like because you just don't know which direction to go when you have all of them available to you. Yeah, that's fair, and and there that's that's one reason that like in the game audio training series we actually only have one tier. Oh sure. There was an experiment where they they gave a choice to some people of thirty different jelly bean colors to flavors to choose from, and they picked that and they got chose their chose theirs, and then they had another group of people that had a choice between two jelly beans and everyone was way more satisfied with their decision with two. Mm, yes. Yes, that sounds familiar, actually. And there's a fantastic book, I may have brought it up before, called Predictably Irrational that talks about all of those sorts of things and basically, like, how the way, the irrational ways that humans think and why and just little experiments in that. And it's one of the most life-changing books I ever read. Nice. And, it, yeah, it talks about stuff just like that. Nice. Yeah. I mean, and a little... 
it's definitely like a uh, a notion to become aware of self-awareness, I feel like. Like, it's some, it's hearing something like, oh, if I have left less choices, then it's better. So if you can, like, even just, like, understanding your preference of what you want to do in the games industry or something like that, just like, oh, I want to work in the games industry. That's like, okay, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. That's really broad. It's less broad than saying I want to do something creative, but you, you have to say, like, okay, do you want to work in... Do you want to program? Do you want to do art? Do you want to do sound? Do you want to do marketing? Do you want to do right. uh, analytics? Like, there's a lot of different areas you could go into. And, and maybe you just say, oh, um, what do I enjoy doing? What are things that I've enjoyed doing in the past? Do I enjoy drawing? Do I enjoy uh, math? Do I en- like there's small things that can kind of point you towards those areas of interest for you. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because of how similar that is to what we talked about before in a previous episode about breaking down projects from the monolith of what it is into individual steps yes yes 100 percent. and because if you if you just have this broad to do make a song it's like oh cool i'll make a song and it's like like if you don't if you don't sit down and write down make a song with this 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 it's like okay i know exact as soon as you read that you know exactly what you're gonna do yeah and and i think this kind of i think we've probably talked about this this kind of ties in with like the our age of distractions where there's infinite distractions in the world everywhere um, on the, or especially with the internet. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, if I look at my sticky note calendar over here and I see that to do that says create a song. And I look at that and I'm like, cool, I'll create a song. It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to think deeply enough about that topic without seeing a YouTube video or Twitter post that or Facebook or something that like mm-hmm. something that intrigues me more and is quicker to think about. Um, but if I if it said something like, okay, make a song with about Donkey Kong yeah. and how he and his friends all got together to throw Cranky Kong a birthday party. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yep. And, that, and it, yeah, <laughs> and just just having it described that way, that gives you so many things. That it's like, now I know it needs to be sort of jungly. It needs to be probably a lot of major chords because it's going to be an upbeat party song about nonsense. No, oh no, it's, well, <laughs> we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? It's, it's a limitation. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yep. <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, it does inform a lot about like even, even the the subtle stuff. Like I never said jungle, but right because it's Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong's music typically is jungly, right? Like that implies a lot of like, and maybe maybe other people would have been like, oh, it's instead of before saying jungle, they probably would have been like, oh, it's a birthday, yeah. So I have to make it like birthday themed or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah, and that yep, and that's the difference between. I don't know. A long time ago, I realized that trying to search for something wholly original is a dead plan. And what you should be doing instead is trying to bring your own flavor to something that is, you know, one of the five major topics of how anybody enjoys anything. Because that's where the that's where the originality is going to be. It's just your own interpretation. And even just in that right there is just like I, I started with the fact that it's going to be jungly. And you're like, well, what if it's somebody went with birthday first? And it's like, that's the difference, you know? Yep, 100%. That's, it's whatever your mind jumps to first, and it's uh, mm-hmm. kind of just like a path of like direction to an end, I guess. Mm-hmm. Anywho. And with that, that's the end of this. That's our, that's our path to the end of this episode. Yeah, indeed. Thank you so much for watching. Let us know how you guys, uh, what you guys think of creativity and your limitations. Yes, please. We have so little feedback on this. I would love to see yeah. more. 
I would love to see more too. See more butts. Um, yeah, we'll get a video out about compression comparison though. That'd be pretty cool, I think. Yeah, I think so. Anywho, thanks for watching, everyone. Bye. You see this? This is pink. <laughs>